0: Listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, I want to, um,
1: take this and, and pivot. I want to ask you some specific questions they're not necessarily personal questions what they are is just your view on some of this what we just went through but is there any before I do that for our listeners to get more information on everything we talked about whether it's a journey to AI whether it's um, uh, you know I'll put the keynote in the in the show notes but is there any place that you would recommend that they go to learn more
0: let me see I think the um I wrote an article for the IBM Think blog when we announced Watson Anywhere and kind of the steps that help clients get along the journey to AI. So I think that's a good place. Okay. I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter, if you're into Twitter, so you, you can follow me there. Those are two good sources.
1: All right. We'll put some more down in the show notes as well. So usually what I do is I do a lightning round. And we have some fun, and we're still going to have some fun, <laughs> but just going to be a little bit differently like, because i got some specific questions I want to ask you. And I find that the listeners really like this piece because um, it gets your more in-depth thoughts on some things. Like, by example, not so long ago, I spent some time with Paul Z. And I talked just about leadership. And we came out with a bunch of soundbites, like passion is your pulse, always offer to bet on yourself, vulnerability leads to confidence. There were several of them that we went through. So I just want to get your view on a few things on the technologies that we've just described. And uh, look, I'll go easy, but first one is what technology excites you the most? Is it AI? Is that what gets you up in the morning? What what excites you the most?
0: Quantum computing is intriguing to me. I think it will totally change computing. And it's way further out. Granted, I think we're the only company right now that has both hardware and software for quantum. So we're doing a lot of real work now. I think the groundbreaking outcomes for quantum are, you know, 2025 and beyond, probably. That's pretty exciting. And, you know, more practical now. Yeah, absolutely. AI and kind of the things that we talked about.
1: Good. So in your keynote, I think you had a was it a JP Morgan,
0: Morgan story.
1: You remember yes. that? the envelope? Yeah. You mind repeating that story as well?
0: It's a old story about JP Morgan, the investment banker. He's late in his career. And he's walking down the street in New York and a guy walks up to him with an envelope. And he said, in this envelope, I hold the secret to business success. And if you give me $25,000, I'll share it with you. Now, JP Morgan, I think he's the richest man in the world at that point. So he's thinking I'm not going to pay this guy $25,000, but he said, I'll tell you what, he said, I'm a man of my word. If you let me look at what's in the envelope, And I agree that it's truly the key to business success. Then, yeah, I'll write you a check for $25,000. So guy hands him the envelope. He opens it up. He reads it. Pulls out a checkbook. Writes him a check for $25,000 right on the spot. What was in the envelope said there's two secrets to business success. Number one, every day make a list of the things that have to be done. Number two, do them. It was it was that simple.
1: Yeah, I thought it was pretty good if I was Chris Farley right now on Saturday Night Live I'd say is that true? (laughs) So you know there's
0: great there is great wisdom in simplicity Go ahead go ahead. I was gonna say what I take away from that story is There's a lot of people that run around doing things Everybody's got a hundred or a thousand items on their to-do list but if you haven't actually done the thinking to call that list and say these are the things that have to be done you know that phrase was was very specific it wasn't things that could be done it's the things that have to be done and then you do them it is it is a secret of success without a doubt
1: so so I'm gonna put you on the spot then because I hear you that that leads to my next question is how do you apply that principle and what you do whether it's your life business or whatever how has it benefited you and I guess I more specifically how do you evaluate what's important in your day to work on? Because I know you've got a ton of stuff heading your way. How do you prioritize?
0: You, the way that I think about this, the metaphor I would use is you really need, you need a compass more than you need a map. A map says go straight, go right, go left. It's very precise directions on how to get something. A compass says, is knowing directionally where you want to go. And then you have to have the flexibility on the details to get there over time. The main thing that I do is I try to always make sure that I've got a compass. And that comes in a few forms. Personally, it's New Year's resolutions that I write down every year. I've done that for quite a while. On the business side, the blogs that I post internally, that's really my thinking on paper that kind of serves as the compass for where I think we want to go as a business. And and those are kind of the directional items that I always have in my head that dictate where am I going to spend my time, what's important versus what's urgent, and and how am I going to allocate time as we go forward here. But I think, you know, if you try to create a map point by point directions, you, you might end up in the wrong place. Cause no, nothing is simple enough in business or in your personal life that there's always you know clear directions how to get there. So I think this compass metaphor is the right one to think about.
1: Nicely done and and I swear to the the, uh, the listeners I, I threw that off the cuff. I'll throw this off the, the cuff too. Do you, do you write every day? Do you get up and do you, do you have a set time that you're writing every day to, to, to formulate those thoughts and, and set that compass?
0: I don't I, I wish I did. I haven't, I haven't made that a priority yet. The reason I say that is I I hate when people say I don't have time because I think everybody has time. It's a question of, of whether or not you've made it a priority. So I always urge people don't ever say you don't have time for something because that's, that's just a, that's the maybe a more polite way of saying it's not a priority. So the answer is no, I don't write every day because I haven't made it a priority. I do think it's really valuable to do that probably the closest i get to that is i do read a lot i do i do take a lot of notes so i kind of always have thoughts germinating some of which end up you know written out in in a longer form many that don't so i'd like to say i keep a log of all the things that i'm thinking about that i'm reading that i think are important but i don't always turn that into writing every day
1: but that, that must not be completely true though man because you've written two books so you must have had some kind of rigor in getting those books done
0: i actually write really fast the hard the hard part for me is doing the research and knowing what i want to cover the actual writing piece i can do pretty fast meaning if i've kind of taken notes on the topic over a week or so like i know this is something i want to write about because i've been thinking about the actual sitting down and writing it is probably 30 minutes or an hour, um, even if it was like a chapter of a book, like I, I, for whatever reason, I can write very quickly. That doesn't mean it's good, um, but I can write good enough very quickly. It's the part before that that's difficult. That takes a long time for me. And then after you do that, then figuring out how to edit it, that takes a while too. So the writing itself is the shortest, is probably the easiest piece for me. It's the research and the editing that takes more time.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. You say you read a lot. Um, Do you have any goals? Is that part of your New Year's? Do you set a number of books that you want to read or you just you just read?
0: I did that one year and that was a mistake for me because I realized that I just became obsessed with completing the goal, which means I didn't I didn't choose longer books. (laughs) I flew through books like it was like all of the uh, it was like all of the shortcuts that humans take when, you know, when they set a goal and they're they're hung up on hitting the goal. So I've decided that's not a good goal. The, the thing about reading to me is doing it every day. So I read every night before I go to bed. That's without a doubt. I try to do some reading in the morning as well. That's not every day, but that's most days before before the day kind of takes off. And reading is, it's like compound interest. It's about doing a little bit. All the time consistently it's not about hey I'm gonna go carve out three hours for reading because I want to, most you know most people aren't gonna find space for that but two is it it also at least for me I, I can't even sit down to read for three hours straight it kind of becomes a drag so to me it's about regularly doing it and that comes pretty naturally to me at this point
1: I'm with you I'm also with you on those goals sometimes you can get tra- trapped with that but my daughter has she always has these goals and I of course, she she's legitimately doing it as well. She reread the book and doesn't count it. And uh, otherwise she'd have even more books that she's read. She's she's amazing. So anyway, right now I think I'm on a pace probably I read 2 books a month. You know, I'm going to have probably 24. I hope I can get to maybe 30 some something like that by the end of this year. But I recall one time you did challenge the team. You had like 10 books in 10 weeks and I'm like I, there's no way I can do that. That was amazing.
0: Did you I really did do that, that once? I I forget what prompted that. I think there was a longer list I wanted to get through, so I just decided to hammer it out. You know, for me, so I do a lot of reading that's not books. I read a bunch of newspapers, yeah, and I read a lot of blogs. I read a lot of stuff that I find on Twitter, not tweets themselves, that's pretty fast, but links, articles, annual reports, investor letters. Like, so I, I read a lot of non-book stuff. So by cutting that out for a while, I can get through books faster. Nice.
1: All right, so the next next topic. So I find it interesting that in your leadership sessions you often talk about the, the importance of personal characteristics of a leader. Or you'll and or you'll bring in some interesting speakers to talk about people, motivation, leadership. Question for you is how has your thinking changed over time as the type of leader you are? And where are you at now in terms of what principles do you value most?
0: I do read about leadership lot without a doubt leadership is best learned by modeling others so finding people that you admire as leaders and modeling them at least that's what I I found for myself it's not leadership is not something that comes out of like an MBA textbook like how to be an executive leader I, I it's more it's much more personal than that so I think it comes out of you know finding finding people that serve as mentors so I've always tried to keep eyes open for that. And by the way, most 99% of those mentors I've never met. You don't don't need to meet them to learn from them. And sometimes people forget that. There are, I'd say there's three three main concepts that I really believe in when it comes to, to leadership. First of all, is imagine I'm drawing a line on a whiteboard right now and there's there's behaviors above the line, and then there's behaviors below the line. Uh, above the line are things that are intentional, thoughtful, planned, considering, you know, it's that's above the line. Below the line is things that are reactive, resistant. You're on autopilot, just kind of going through the motions the number one job of a leader is to stay above the line all the time. And it really changes how you can work with people and how you can lead if you're staying above the line. And it starts by just understanding kind of the notion of, you know, is your behavior or how you acted in that meeting or what you said, was that above the line or below the line? That's a really helpful model for me to think about. And, you know, you can see people that are constantly below the line. They they self destruct. They get isolated. Um, so that's one model that's helpful for me.
1: I think um, I mean similar to what you described there. Similar to I think the book Fifteen Conscious. I don't remember what it is Steps to Conscious Leadership or something above the line and below the line. What is if there's a book? You know, since you read a lot, a lot. Is there any book that from leadership or even philosophy? I don't care that you find that's one of your favorite that you always go back to and maybe use it more than any other
0: i think john wooden's book is amazing it's called wooden i mean he's from a very different era than now but what he calls the pyramid of success it's it's a timeless model for for thinking about leadership um, that one sticks out to me
1: I'll check that out. You know, one of the ones I still like, I'm sure you've read it, is Mindset. You've probably read it multiple times. I just think that that one, I find that when I'm working with people now, I can um, I use a lot of attributes that I found in that book, and, and you can classify somebody in a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, kind of like above the line or below the line. Same kind of, and it and it helps me in working with those individuals to to outline why they're below the line and how to get above the line or, or what they need to do differently or something from a coaching standpoint. But I really like mindset. You've read that? I have not. You have not. I'm you got to read that one. That's great. Right. That should be on your list. It's fantastic. Um, you had a blog that I read, Acts of Omission and Commission. Remember this?
0: <laughs> I did. you want to hear my other two leadership uh, rubrics?
1: Of course. Hit it.
0: All right. So you got the first one, the above the line, below the line. Second one is, is a simple equ- equation. E, e plus R equals O, meaning event plus response equals your outcome. For most people, when something bad happens, an event, they have a bad meeting, they have a bad day, they have a bad quarter, they have a bad month. they They think that's their outcome. And they kind of spiral into of depression would be the, the far end of the curve but they get down on themselves they lose confidence because in their mind the event meaning what happened that's their outcome what I've found for every great leader the event is not the outcome it's the event plus how you respond to the event that is your outcome and this is why I think this is why I think sports is great for people when they're growing up because in sports you lose way more than you win. At least I did my whole life, and it kind of teaches you. You got to build a, you know, when something bad happens, you got to be able to respond, because that will dictate your real outcome. So, so that's the that's another one I keep in mind. And the last one is more about teams, and I think, I think this is generally true. It, the the model, I call it 108010, which is, in any team you lead, 10% of the people are the absolute stars. They're always above the line. They're always doing all the right things. They're strategic, but they're execution focused. They're doing all the right things. That's 10%. 80% is solid. You want them on the team, but they're but they're not 10 percenters. Sometimes they go below the line. Sometimes they have to be reminded what to do. Sometimes they have, sometimes they have to be told what to do. That's 80%. And then The other 10%, these are the people that you don't want on the team. They're just, they're always below the line. They're doing the wrong things. They're, you know, they're in their own, they're in their own world. It's easy to decide what to do with that 10%. But the real challenge of every leader is how do I get the 80%ers into the 10%? And I think some people think that great leadership is I've got to go hire a bunch of 10%ers. Unfortunately, there... They're not available. That, that's why they're 10 percenters. That's why they're at the top. So they're not available. So the, the real challenge of a leader is how can I make my 80 percenters 10 percenters? And I I don't think people always approach it that way.
1: Fantastic. So I apologize if I cut you off there. I got all three of them. So above the line, that was the, the or below the line, the E plus R equals O. What did you call the last one? It was the 1080. 1080 10. Oh, 1080. 10. All right. I got it then. And I'm with these you on not, the,
0: these are not my ideas by the way. This is a group I think it came from it's a company called Focus Three. I want to say their name is. I forget exactly, but i just stuff I've read through the years that stuck with me.
1: Is that a book or is it on Focus Three or is it just blog? I forget
0: or? I honestly forget where I saw it. don't know
1: i I often uh, I'm with you on the sports. Uh, one of my favorite Of course it's getting old now. My kids don't even recognize Michael Jordan anymore, but <laughs> nobody does. But, uh, you know, still one of the best basketball, if not the greatest. And I love the quote where he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost more than 300 games, 26 times. I've been trusted to make the game-winning shot, and I missed. And that's why I'm great. Yeah. I think that's one of the best quotes there is out there. All right. I, I got another question for you, but I don't want to cut you off again. You got any more?
0: No, no, no. Let's go on. Keep moving. All right.
1: All right, so this is a good liaison uh, exactly with what you said before, because in your blog, The Acts of omission and Commission, you reference the risk of doing nothing versus failure in doing something. And uh, what I wanted to do is elaborate on your use of this principle in decision making. And for those that may feel like they're stuck or feel for, fear, fearful of trying something, how do you give them the encouragement to, to you know, jump off the edge?
0: Let's describe what that means a little bit so an active commission that's that's where you did something and look if you stick your neck out, you make a decision you decide to do something sometimes that's not gonna work out um, but that's fine you got to um you know sometimes you gotta you gotta do that and know that they may not work out so an active commission is something that you do an active omission is something that you choose not to do. It's the decision that didn't that wasn't made or something you decided not to do. And as I evaluate leaders and I look at teams, I think people often focus on just, you know, what are the acts of commission? What did somebody do? Did it work? Did it not? And this idea of acts of omission is all is honestly just as important. Meaning sometimes the right thing to do is to do nothing. That's a good one. Sometimes when there's a tough problem, people turn their head and go the other way. So it's an act of omission and it's a bad one because they basically ran away from the problem. So it's just a way to kind of think about people, think about behaviors. There, there is a big difference between commission and what you do and omission and what is not done. And, and either could be good or bad, but there's a big difference.
1: Nicely done. I think that's good. I think he answered most of what I, what I said right in that 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 uh, dialogue. Hey, um, what kind of competitors IBM? W- where would you like to see us?
0: Fierce competitor.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you said that because that matches your blog, the fierce competitor.
0: <laughs> that's really. I mean, do you use, use the book name that you gave? That is about a mindset and an attitude, and Look, the technology industry is incredibly competitive, has only gotten more competitive in the last five years, and it will only be more competitive in the next five years. So it is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the timid. It is not for the weak. It is about how can we be a fierce competitor? And the number one thing a fierce competitor does is actually listens, meaning listens to what users want, what clients want. And then aggressively pursues getting those things done. That's what I want us to be, and I think we are in many respects. And I think in in some respects we can do even better.
1: So I think it kind of makes me think of another book, um, to be a fierce competitor, to have acts of omission and commission. I think there's a couple of things. There's another book that I just read, The Courage to Be Disliked, and it talks about happiness being defined as is being meaningful. And uh, you know, it, it it really outlines again the courage and freedom is defined as not caring about what other people think as you're doing the right things in life. I think it's a pretty yep. good book too.
0: I agree. I read that book. I um, I really enjoyed it. I think one thing that sticks out from that book was talked about. Um, it talked about when you're you know when you're facing a problem or a challenge or a hardship um it was like you know it's a philosophical book so it said, it said think of your hardship hardship as a storm in a teacup meaning yeah it's a big problem yeah it's a storm you're dealing with but it's just right around you meaning you everybody personalizes and internalizes things much more and a teacup is a very small part of the whole world right and so this point was your hardship is a storm in a teacup it's just a teeny part of the world And sometimes you got to pick your head up and realize that, you know, there's a much larger community, a much bigger picture of things going on around you. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in that book. I did, too. It's a good one. I'd
1: recommend it for the listeners. Hey, another, so another pivot. Uh, i got to thank you for something you did recently, and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, Some time ago, and I've been a fan of what's called Undercover Boss, and you did this. And uh, although you weren't truly undercover, by the way, I think you need to work on your disguises. Uh, we knew where you were at all times, but uh, uh, and There was a, a retailer that I learned this from some time ago that at one, one I think it was one week at a year. They would put the executives on the cash register So they could see exactly the line when you got 20 people standing there You know the tools and everything else that you're up against when you're making decisions that affect the livelihoods of these individuals and uh, you did this recently uh, which again, I appreciate. I know the team appreciate it. But the question to you is, what prompted you to give this a try? And is this something you're going to continue, or you're going to do something? Or what would you do next?
0: You know, it wasn't my idea. Most, most of my good ideas are not my ideas. They're they're suggested by somebody else, and I, and I try to be a good listener. But we did we didn't ask me anything, which is a slack discussion at the end of last year, and. And somebody in the organization said, Hey, why don't you, um, why don't you do this? And I thought it was a great challenge. So, so that's why I did it. Like I said, all, most of my good ideas are not my ideas. That was a great suggestion. And I, I did get to spend half a day with one of our support engineers to really understand what the day and the life of a support engineer looks like. You know, what's the first thing you do? What are the tools that you use? How are you dealing with difficult client situations? I learned a ton. And what was a, you know, it went incredibly fast, the half day. But I, I got a very interesting look into what it really takes day to day to keep clients happy. So it was super valuable to me.
1: Good. Is there another place that you're looking at expanding that to, or are you still thinking about it?
0: I'm hoping somebody will suggest the next one.
1: Oh good, that's an invite right there. All right, there you go. You're probably gonna get bombarded at this point. Fantastic. Hey, I think we may already talked about this, but there's one tweet that you sent from Michael Crichton that I thought was interesting. And I'll repeat it to the listeners here. It says, if you wanna be happy, forget yourself, forget all of it. How you look, how you feel, how your career is going, just drop the whole subject of you. People dedicated to something other than themselves. Helping family and friends or a political cause or others less fortunate than they, uh, they are the happiest people in the world. Um, is this how you're doing it? Is this how you, is it, I mean, it kind of goes back to our the courage to be disliked discussion we just had. So maybe we already had this discussion, but is this the sentiment that, that fits how you're 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 going at it?
0: Look, I, I believe we're all put on this earth to to help others. I think that's our fundamental mission and why we're here. And so that quote resonated with me because I thought it um, I thought it brought it to life and that doesn't mean you know it's not easy right I mean everybody gets caught up in their personal life their careers their families things that are going on but we always got to realize that we're here for for, for bigger reasons and it helps to keep things a little bit in perspective <laughs> the irony of that quote is that it came out of the book who is Michael Obitz, which was like a 400 page self-serving book by Michael Obitz about Michael Obitz about how amazing he is. (laughs) So so that's the incredible irony of the quote. The, that said, I actually, the book was relatively entertaining, especially if you like movies, because it kind of goes through a lot of history of movies. Um, But that's what I thought was funny about the quote was it came out of the most self-serving book I've probably ever read.
1: Nicely done. All right. I think this is going to be my last question. So I would ask you, and I'm going to ask you this question, but I'm going to give it a different context for it. I said, where, where, here's the question, where do you see yourself in five years? And or what's next for you? I guess those are two different questions, but where do you see yourself in five years? But I'll I'll phrase it a little bit differently. If I had this podcast, and I doubt if I do, but in five years and I got you back on, what would you be excited to tell me about?
0: Hopefully not a lot would change in terms of, you know, my goal is, how do I positively impact and and influence others? I think that's largely how I got to where, where I am today and what I want to do in the future. I don't think I don't think that principle would be any different. I don't know where I'm going to be. Um, no idea. Um, you know, I've always been curious to try new things. I joined IBM in consulting. I worked in Microelectronics for a while, which had nothing to do with consulting, came to software. knew nothing about software. Think I've learned a good bit. So, so my my eyes are always open to, you know, what catches my curiosity or interest. But I hope that I'm doing data and AI in five years in IBM. That's my goal. But that doesn't mean that I'll achieve that goal.
1: We're gonna have a bunch of robots running around uh, replacing all of our are the jobs that they're they're predicting out there.
0: I'm uh, I'm definitely short on the robot replace job thesis. <laughs> I you know I say what look AI is not going to replace managers, but managers that use AI will replace the managers that do not. And I really believe that. Certainly, are, you know robotics are great. Intuitive Surgical builds you know robots doing surgery, and it does things that humans cannot do. That is amazing. The robots don't talk to patients though they don't actually diagnose the patients but they help in a key part of surgeries and they're saving a lot of lives that's great like that's what ai robotics is going to do it's not about replacing humans
1: i think we'll end there that's fantastic this is great man you're awesome i appreciate you coming on is there anything we didn't hit i thought we got it pretty well we got both sides we got uh You know, technology. We also talked about leadership. Is there anything that I left unsaid?
0: I think we covered it all. I appreciate the (laughs) being on and a wide-ranging discussion. I think it was great.
1: I do too. I greatly appreciate it. So thank you so much. Great dialogue. Appreciate it. We'll have the contact information that you gave us earlier and some some bonus in the podcast notes. And uh, for those of you listening. Until next time, thanks for listening. Uh, Feedback is always welcome. And please rate us on whatever forum you're listening, iTunes, YouTube, whatever. We take feedback seriously, but thank you so much. And Rob, again, appreciate having you on. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Al. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data
1: visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.